Hey everybody, welcome to Not Enough Said. This is an MCM spin-off show where we focus on some Marvel Champions adjacent things. And here what we do is we talk all about the lore behind the card game Marvel Champions. We talk about current comic books and comic books from our past. Just like usual, I've got my co-host here with me, Shane Adderkop. How's it going, Shane? Good, thanks for having me again. Glad I'm still uh, part of the show. Yeah, we haven't cut you yet, so that's great. Um, I heard you brought a friend <laughs> with you today. Who'd you bring along with you? <laughs> uh, I brought my longtime friend, Caleb. Oh, your longtime friend, Caleb, the designer of the game. How's it going, Caleb? Uh, that, that's good, that's good. Is that a little flex there, Shane? A, a minor one, to say the least. <laughs> your move, C-O-T-R. <laughs> so, Caleb, how's it going on this fine night? It's going pretty well. It's uh, 2020 is almost over, so, you know, we're just uh, we're just seeing it through. Yeah, I would say it's going to be uphill, but I don't want to guess anything at this point. So, <laughs> Right. Well, today we're going to talk about some awesome comic books from your history. But first, let's get to know you a little bit. So we're going to talk mostly about comic books today, but we've got a couple card game related questions for you, too. So you obviously have a long history with comic books. When did you first get into comics? Uh, well, the first comic that I ever bought was the, uh, the famous X-Men number one, you know, with Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. But I probably started getting the comics just a little bit before that because my older brother uh, was a Spider-Man reader. He he was in with like the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man stuff. Um, and actually, I think I think my earliest memory of reading a comic was uh, just you know like being a, a kid in grade school and hopping on my bike, going down to the local uh, library and uh, just pulling out a box and sifting through the the, the issues they had there. You know. You guys ever have that at like your library? The really well-worn like single issues. For me, it was the, uh, um, the essentials actually, the the volumes. Okay, yeah, yeah, I feel it. Yeah, ours had trades. That's what we had at our that, library. <laughs> yeah, everything's trades now. Everything's trades now. Like when I go to the library, well, pre-COVID, I would go to the library probably once a week just to see if they had any trades I hadn't uh, picked up yet. Um, but this was like. They actually just had a box of single issues, and uh, I don't know what it was, but I, I picked up like a, a, a Marvel Secret Wars, like their very first crossover, nice. and, but it was like halfway in. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I was just like looking at like, oh my gosh, there's Captain America, and there's Iron Man, and there's Hulk, and like the villains had actually dropped a mountain on the heroes, you know, like as a kid, like as an adult, you'd be thinking, well, that's kind of cheesy. But as a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, they're so powerful. They dropped a mountain on them. Like they're dead for sure. And then inside the Hulk is holding up the mountain, you know, while all the other heroes. Yeah, it was crazy. And then it was like, um, Mr. Fantastic is like antagonizing the Hulk while he figures out a solution. And everyone's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? And then when they finally get out, he's like, oh, I get it now. You were making me mad, so I would be strong enough to hold the mountain up. <laughs> anyway, it was such a fascinating story. You're like, what is this? Um, so that definitely got me interested, but I didn't have any money, you know, at that time. So it wasn't until uh, X-Men number one rolled around. I was old enough with enough allowance that I had to do a little saving up, you know, but I... I bought that comic and holy smokes, that just blew my mind. So yeah, I, I think, think we're going to talk more about that one later. I think we will. So what is your favorite book in general of all time? Is it that X-Men number one or are there other books that have really nailed you? Uh, so when you, I mean, when you say book, are you talking about like a, like a run, like a full kind of story? Yeah, like a full story. a run. title? Um, it's hard to pick a favorite, right? Because uh, it, it could be favorite on so many levels. Like, 
for character or for art or for plot. Um, I don't know if I have for sure a favorite in, in, in that respect, but I will tell you that the probably the comic that made the biggest impression on me after the one that got me into books was uh, Marvel Civil War. That, uh, that book kind of blew my mind almost like, you know, like I was a kid again um, because I just loved the idea of what if all this superhero stuff that they're doing that's supposed to feel like it's happening in our real world, what if it had like a real world consequence? Like what if people actually died as a result of, of all of this, you know, superhero violence and people had enough, you know, and there were like real consequences. I thought, holy smokes, I, that really reinvigorated my interest in comics. I had honestly dropped off comics um, before that, you know, college and starting a young family and everything. I, I just didn't have room for comics, but I, I still like to go to the store on occasion and kind of read what was on the shelf. And when I read that, I was like, I have to get this. This is amazing. And that, uh, that hooked me right back in. Haven't looked back since. Jumped in at a perfect time for jumping on right there too. Yeah, no, I, I feel that like civil war for me too, uh, was the first time that I could go out on my own and pick up comics and stuff. And, you know, I was working some like part-time job at the mall and I had a little bit of extra spending money. And I remember every time looking up, Oh, is civil war coming out today? And then mm -hmm. like skateboarding as fast as possible to get down there and like <laughs> react to each issue, like right outside the door of the, of the bookstore. Like <laughs> I couldn't even get home with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you're looking at books, do you find yourself reading more solo books or more team-up books like The Avengers or Captain America? I think in general, I definitely read more team-ups, uh, probably just because it was the X-Men that initially pulled me in, and I liked all the uh, the relationship dynamics and everything. I loved some of the like tension between Cyclops and Wolverine. I always loved that relationship of how they... You know, they have this deep respect for each other, uh, but they don't necessarily like each other, you know. Um, and, and you also get, you know, I, I don't know, just all the interactions. Like the solo books, you, you get a lot more of like their inner monologue, you know, which which can be fun. I actually, the first solo book that I followed was uh, Punisher War Journal. Um, again, I was just following Jim Lee around. So right. after I got introduced to his X-Men work, I started going backwards through his catalog to see what else he'd done. And he did some really good work on, on The Punisher. And I actually really enjoy, I think he did about 12 or 13 issues. I, I super enjoy that run. It's it's uh, pretty campy compared to Punisher Now, but I actually prefer that. Like Punisher Now for me is just a little too real, a little too violent. Little where too it's dark. like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like everything got dark and gritty at some point in, mm -hmm. in media. And, um, and it, it kind of, for me, took a lot of the fun out of it. Um, because when you when you make Punisher dark and gritty, there's like nothing left to admire about him. He's really just a psychotic killer at that point, you know. Right. But when it was kind of campy, you could kind of like go, "Yeah, it's not really meant to be real." Because in real life, this is like super a crime, <laughs> and like he should be locked away. But because uh, it's like comic book land, it's like, "Oh, the ends justify the means," <laughs> and you know. Did um, you ever did you ever check out? Um, uh, I think it's Child's Play. No. Yeah. It's a Daredevil and Punisher team up. I think that was like a huge turning point for the character. Um, okay, what like uh, like do you know roughly what year that was released? Um, 
Let me find it for you, actually. Uh, it had been, been late 80s. I don't have an exact one, but it's because okay, it was Frank yeah, Miller yeah. and Ralph Jansen. So at the same time, sure. that was the late 80s Daredevil. Um, I've actually been reading more recent Daredevil stuff and, and just kind of watching you know, comic book videos on YouTube. I actually just watched a video the other day about Miller's uh, famous run on, on Daredevil, and that it's was something so that a friend of mine had it. I, I've never owned it. I don't think I've ever read it in its entirety, but, mm-hmm. you know, like... It's kind of magical time when your kids, you could go over to your friend's house and read their comics, you know, and just spend an <laughs> afternoon sitting next to each other reading comics and talking about, oh, look what he did in this panel, you know? I do that now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish I had time. I would do that still, for sure. Yeah. It's a, it came out in 88. Yeah. So it's, yeah, Frank, Frank Miller, Klaus Jansen. Um, I think if you read that, you'll feel it like the missing link between what you enjoyed about the Punisher being kind of goofy in the back and mm-hmm. him like kind of for lack of a better term, seriousing up. Sure, sure. And uh, that is, that is uh, for me, like, as a kid, I was a big Punisher fan, and I read that, and I had to, like, really think about stuff afterwards. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I have more yeah. recent Punisher stuff, too, that uh, that I super enjoy. You know, Ed Rubaker did a good run, and uh, Edmondson, uh, I think Nathan Edmondson. Nathan Edmondson, uh, yeah. Yeah, they both did fantastic runs on Punisher that were... Absolutely. The Brubaker run was was a little more serious in tone, mm-hmm. um, and the Edmondson run I thought found like a fun balance between taking it seriously but also introducing some of the fun back into it. You know, um, that yeah, it's a tricky balance for me, and and I suppose everybody likes their Punisher a little bit different too. True. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, one of my favorite memories though was like going back and getting those Jim Lee Punishers, and then finding like. I think it was the first time that Punisher and Wolverine crossed paths. And that was like just a fantastic couple of issues where I remember the panel where like Wolverine just charges at him out of nowhere. And uh, Punisher draws down with the shotgun. He just like slices the barrel off, you know, (laughs) and Punisher's inner monologue is like, ah, the runt gave me a sod off, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a summer blockbuster. So, Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I would I would pay to see that in a Yeah, RPG. definitely. Especially with that costume too in that in that Edmonton run. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, those uh I met the artist. He's uh, he's a Minnesota guy actually. Um Mitch Gerard. I'm I'm really excited for him cuz he's gone on um to do some some really exciting stuff. He actually has been working on Batman. So Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um I, I he might have been guest pencils on a couple of issues or so. I, I don't know. I haven't followed his career super close, but I just I met him at like the the local uh, comic book fair, like at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, Wake and uh, picked up yeah picked up the Punisher Volume One trade, and he signed it for me. Just a real nice guy, and it was it was super fun to talk to him uh, because you know I I got to ask him like so you know how'd you end up on Punisher. And he's talking about he and Edmondson were, were working on this book for Image called The Activity, uh, which is like paramilitary, you know, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Marvel noticed it. And so they called him up and asked the guys, like, how would you like to come do Punisher? And I was like, oh, man, what was that phone call like? You know, and he just got a big smile on his face. Like, that was pretty awesome. You yeah. know, I'm like, I bet. <laughs> that, was the, uh, that was the selling point for that Punisher series, too. When it released, they were like okay, we're getting people on The Punisher, and this talent was on Activity. And as you recall, they wrote before were uh, spy books and military books and stuff like that. It's Ed- Edmondson's background. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, hell yeah, let's, let's take that. Cool, awesome. 
and yeah, uh, and if you, great if you get the trade, yeah, if you got the trades, there's like you know extra pages where they show a lot of Gerard's like sketches uh, of like ideas for the Punisher, and it was all about taking this idea of like what if what if we grabbed actual like combat gear, you know, made it real tactile, like everything. It's a costume, but it has a real purpose. You know, everything has a a purpose, and I I just love when people nerd out like that. You know, you see like James Cameron do that with his movies, right? Mm-hmm. Does aliens or avatar. It's like, yeah, it looks cool, but it also, he's thinking about like what all these little bits do, you know, that everyone has a purpose. Yeah. It just makes uh, it better. For sure. Yeah. So I have to, as long as we're talking about that, I'm just going to keep nerding out and, and I <laughs> share my, my favorite moment from that. Cause you remember he fights electro in that and he's, He's totally outclassed. It's Punisher versus Electro. Like, he doesn't stand a chance, you know? He keeps trying to shoot bullets at him, and Electro's just, like, manipulating the electromagnetic field to make the bullets bounce away. And uh, and he's just like, you're way out of your league, right? And he barely escapes the first encounter. So then later he shows up, and, he, and Electro's all like, we're going to do all this again? You know, like, Punisher's drawn down with his gun. He's just like, didn't you learn anything from the first time? And all of a sudden, whap, whap, whap. And, <laughs> and the lecture goes down, and you're like, what just happened? He goes, rubber bullets. <laughs> just, yeah, I remember the, the cover. It's just all that, those little details. You can see his, like, oh. uh, his bones through his through his costume. Yeah, yeah, he got, he got zaps. Uh, that one was really yeah. cool. Yeah, I know, I love that run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I was so happy to see Gerard's like um, see the trajectory of his career going up because I was reading that book going like this. He's really bringing this A game to Punisher. He's really elevating this book. He's gonna he's gonna get noticed for this, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, Batman's like the one DC book that I collect sometimes, and I was pretty excited when I was I was reading a really good run of Batman books, and all of a sudden, Mitch Gerard shows up into my Batman comic. It's like no, <laughs> it's just. Happy to see another Minnesota guy, you know, uh, succeeding. Mm-hmm. Awesome happenstance. So one of the things mm-hmm. um, on this show is we have a, a few people that only read comic books but don't play champions, and some people that play champions but don't read comic books. So we're trying to bring those two parties together. So if you sure. had 60 seconds to sell Marvel Champions to a comic book reader, how would you um, convince them to play Marvel Champions? Well, I, I would say that most comic readers – at least, you know, if you start young, like, you know, me and my friends did, you you imagine what it would be like to, to be your favorite hero, to be Spider-Man. What would it be like to swing around on, on webs and, you know, kick bad guys in the face or, you know, <clears throat> be Captain America and throw your shield and watch it ricochet, you know, off everybody and fly back to your hand. And uh, you'd probably argue about who could beat who and who's the strongest and... um a lot of that went into making Marvel Champions as as a way of getting to experience it firsthand, you know, as, to feel like now you do get to throw the shield and watch it bounce off all the bad guys and play and return it to your hand. And you do get to play swinging web kick and, and watch Spider-Man swoop down and kick Rhino in the face, you know. And uh, so it feels very empowering like that. So you actually get to feel like you're the superhero Um and that's, yeah, that's really what we were going for. I, I personally like that it's cooperative as well and not competitive so that, uh, you know, because those debates we used to have about comic books and our favorite heroes, those got pretty heated as kids, right? Like, you know, some friendships were temporarily broken 
You know, when they're like, no way Venom could beat Wolverine, you know, like people would, you know, really get into it. Um, so it's it's probably a good thing that it's co-op, you know, so that we're all working together to defeat the villain. And uh, and it's less about like who's better, more about just, hey, watch what I can do. Um, so that's not very coherent pitch, but if you're a real comic book fan, I think you get the idea. I think it was perfect. <laughs> And then one more question for Marvel Champions players. When you're creating a new pack for Marvel Champions, how many comics do you usually read as research? Is it in the tens of comics, or do you you know, go all in on your research on, on your reading sources, or how do you approach that? I, th I think this is a situation where you would get a different answer depending on who you're asking. Um, like, for example, uh, I know that when Boggs was working on Miss Marvel, he read a ton of her comics uh, because he didn't know the character really at all. And, and, and to be honest, I don't know her character super well either. I, what I know of Miss Marvel is from reading the Avengers when, when she joined the Avengers for a while. Uh, and, and also from reading uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. And I really enjoyed her character in those books. Um, and we knew that she was real popular and also gaining in popularity. So we wanted to include her in our lineup real quick. Um, so when we're kind of divvying up the characters, there were some real personal favorites of mine in that first wave that I was like, well, I, I for sure want to do Cap. You know, I for sure want to do Thor and uh, and so on. And so we kind of divvied them up. And uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm interested in Ms. Marvel, but he didn't know her super well. So he started reading her books, and I, I think he pretty much just read them all because he got hooked. He was like, oh, my gosh, this is a fantastic comic. Um, but for me... I think all the characters we've done so far are like characters that I'm already familiar with. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not necessarily um, going in and reading comics specifically for any character. Now I'm probably more likely to do like a Wikipedia search or a Marvel fandom search just to, just to refresh myself on their history and their powers. And as I'm reading through, I'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember I read that issue. I remember that run. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't tend to go and read the books to research the characters. I, I think, at least not yet, most of them I already know. Totally makes sense. So we're going to move on to our main topics for today. We've got two books we're going to talk about, just so everybody knows. These are not spoiler-free discussions, so if you need to spoil something from the book, it's totally allowed. The first book we're going to talk <laughs> about is um, X-Men number 1 from 1991, written by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee. Pencils by Jim Lee, Inker Williams, letterer Orzakowski, and colorist Ro Rosas. Um, the Inker is Scott Williams, who followed Jim Lee all the way through New 52 DC mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, he's sort of defined inking for like a generation, which is kind of crazy. Also, if we spoil a 30-year-old book for our listeners, I don't feel bad. <laughs> I don't either, but just in case people are worried, now they know they should tune out, read the book, come back. Um, <laughs> shockingly this is the most printed like comic book of history apparently there were eight million copies of this comic book made yeah. um, the the next runner up mm -hmm. was star wars from a couple years ago from marvel um by year at least and in 2015 marvel made like one million copies of star wars so it, it pales in comparison to x-men number one the the kids love the star wars the kids love the star wars nowadays <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, this this book I think really came out uh, right around the height of the uh, the comic book craze in the early '90s, right when uh, everybody everybody thought they were going to buy all these comics that were going to uh, you know uh, they were going to sell for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars later, right? Put their kids through college. Uh, yeah, I still tell myself didn't that. work out that way. <laughs> I've had to I've had to break a lot of hearts telling them that their their Jim Lee number one is not worth that much. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You, you would think that the uh, the the uh, best-selling comic of all time would kind of give it away that it's it's not very hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask um, because it was four connecting covers. Uh, which of the four is your favorite cover? Oh, uh, I thought you were going to ask me if I had all four. Which yes, I, I, well, yeah, I definitely bought all four. Uh, yeah, actually, naturally. that yeah, I was saying I had to save up my allowance. I actually bought it from Walmart of all places. They. They put the four covers together in like one package. You guys ever see they used to stick them on the shelf like in a big plastic case and like hang it on a peg? I remember yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. So I actually saw it at the store and I was like, I want that, but I didn't have enough money. And so I had to like save up, right, to go back and get it like the next week. It was just killing me as a kid. I was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> I was worried it was going to be gone. You know how it is. Reasonable. Um, easily for me. My my favorite cover is probably the one that you're used to seeing the most. It's it's the uh, Cyclops, Wolverine, Iceman, you know, um, all kind of attacking at once with the the big X Men, you know, behind them. Um, a close second though would be the person they're attacking, right? The image of Magneto just by himself, larger than life, you know, just uh, creating his force field, you know, with his hand up raised, kind of like you guys can come at me all day. It's not just disregarding matter. him, right? Like he's doing his, yeah. Own thing. Yeah. Like the, the energy crackling from his eyes, it's, it's kind of a comic trope, but I actually, I just super dig it. Right. They're so powerful that their eyes are glowing, you know? <laughs> yeah. I like that all the X-Men are looking at Magneto, but he's staring right at you, the reader, just sort of yeah, glancing into your soul. You know, it's funny because, I'm looking at it right now, right? I'm looking at it right now, and I'm thinking, I know a lot of people were, like, super thrilled with Ian McKellen as Magneto in the films. Like, he's a fantastic actor, so I'm not saying anything bad about his acting. But he never worked for me. And I'm looking at this cover, and it's so obvious why. Like, because for me, Magneto wasn't just, like, oh, he's a cool mutant power. He was just, like, an intimidating person. Like, physically intimidating, mentally intimidating. And it's like, well, Ian McKellen is, is certainly you know, very well composed, but, you know, he kind of looks like a stiff breeze might blow him over sometimes, you know, like just, just not, not physically intimidating enough for me. So I hope when they eventually wakes, makes his way to the MCU, you know, they cast somebody just a little, a little more fit. I don't somebody know. really like dark for it. Yeah. I don't know. Some, someone that you just go, Oh my gosh. And he can manipulate, you know, metal. Cause that, you know, he already looks scary enough. Just a bonus. <laughs> Regal, that's the word I was thinking of. Regal, he looks like a king, you know? He looks like a Greek god. Like, he just looks larger than life. And and I loved that about him. That was, uh, he's still my favorite villain to this day for that reason, you know, uh, of larger than life with a really compelling backstory, really solid reason for who he is and why he does what he does. I love that in this story, when we first meet him, he's given up that mission, right? Like, he's... Um, He's just hanging out on Asteroid M. He's, he's had enough of fighting uh, people on Earth. He, he tried his, his, his hand at you know uh, conquering the world or bringing mutants to his cause, and it didn't work out. So he's like, fine, fine, forget it. You know, you guys all want to kill each other. That's, that's your business. I'm going to go live 
on this asteroid that I created with my power. <laughs> you know, that, I, that, I, that I keep in orbit with my power. You know what? Earth sucks. You can keep it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, to me, it was such a cool idea of like, again, being in, in, in you know, coming to the X-Men, this is my very first read. I don't know who Magneto is before this. This is my first introduction to him. And boy, what an introduction. You know, you guys have read this. So, you know, it begins with like a Star Wars style, like chase, right? You know, you got shuttles in low orbit shooting at each other. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this two-page spread. There's Magneto just out in space. No, no gear, nothing to breathe with, right? He just makes his own force bubble. He creates his own atmosphere inside this force bubble and he just rips apart their ships and now they're all floating in space in their suits just helpless and he's like i am magneto this is my home <laughs> like like you don't bring like, war to my doorstep he's like i'm gonna send you back to earth and they're like no wait hold on <laughs> yeah that's when you find out that some of these people had stolen some shield shuttles and and they're they're the acolytes right they're the mutants that want to serve mm-hmm. magneto and i love because they're like we've come to dedicate ourselves to your cause and he's like I don't have a cause. You know, like, yeah. I'm done with that. You have an yeah. right now. Yeah, like, you know, the you guys, um, you ever read the, the, or hear about Joseph Campbell's, like, Hero of a Thousand Faces? Uh, no, you I know, haven't. You know, like, the stuff that inspired Star Wars. It, yeah, like, it, so a lot of Star Wars fans know this because uh, George Lucas, you know, commented it all the time early in his career about what inspired Star Wars, this idea of a Hero of a Thousand Faces and the hero's journey. And it's actually fascinating reading. I highly recommend you know, at least getting the Cliff Notes version, uh, because it's like analyzing how every hero journey and just about every fiction follows the exact same outline. And uh, and it's always like a call to adventure and then rejecting the call and then being forced to take the call. So like, if you look at Star Wars, it's, you know, the droids, you know, coming to Luke and Obi-Wan's like, you have to come with me to Alderaan. And he says, no, I can't. I'm a farmer, whatever. But then he goes home and Spoiler alert, you know, it's blown up. <laughs> so, so he has to go, and now he's going to become a Jedi. And uh, I love how Magneto is the villain, but he has, like, his hero journey here, where he has the call to adventure, where, like, the acolytes show up, and they're like, hey, we need you to take up your cause again. And he got the refusal of the call of, like, no, no, I'm not doing this anymore. But then, you know, his arm is twisted, and he, he, he comes back to be, you know, Magneto again, uh, and I just, I think that's great. Like, you know, not every villain gets that, that much depth. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point is that Magneto gets forced into the role because his, his society has kind of pigeonholed him into that role. Well, and the Acolytes too, you know, you, you find out later that one of them has his own motivations, but I thought like the Acolytes, they like attack Genosha just like on their own, mm-hmm. right? The X-Men have to go and, and, and help out. And I love that this is all in issue number one. I mean, boy, what a comic. Yeah, um, issue one's huge. Compared to like yeah. normal comics, it's huge. Yeah, and like the, the Acolytes are just tearing up Genosha because Genosha used to abuse mutants, you know, to, to build their... They had mutant slaves to build everything for them. And Magneto shows up and, and he's like, okay, this conflict's over. And the X-Men are like, yeah, we got to take these people into custody. He's like, no, these are my people. Whatever punishment they're going to get, I'll decide. And that's what I love about him. He's just like... I'm it. I'm judge, jury, executioner. I'm all of it. You know, I have the authority because I decided I have the authority. <laughs> the thing I've always liked about Magneto is that he has like a regal presence. You know, even yes. whether he's, he's intimidating or just you know just scary because of his power set. But like mm-hmm. 
just a very regal villain and it helps that he wears a big flowy purple cape but like him and and like dr doom are villains yes. that have layers that make them interesting not just like hmm, i'm gonna rule the world you know who cares yes there's a nobility about them even if like what they're doing is evil there's like a nobility to them um think, and there's that self-seriousness too <laughs> yeah i i will say though like this issue again part of what hooked me into it is it, it probably has like the best opening of of any issue because first you have that space battle like i was talking about you get introduced to magneto first and then you go to the X-Men, and it's a training simulation in the danger room. And, like, how much fun is that? Especially for a kid's imagination to be like, wait, so they have this whole room. It's like a holodeck on the Enterprise. They can just do whatever training simulations they want there. And and this is why I like team books, right? Because there's so many X-Men that they're divided into two teams. Like, one team is playing defense, trying to pr- protect Professor X inside the mansion. And the other team is the assault team trying to break in and get them, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's just so entertaining. And I will be so heartbroken if Kevin Feige doesn't give us, um, you know, like a danger room sequence when the, when the X-Men come to the MCU. Like, I want my first introduction in an X-Men movie to the X-Men to be like a danger room sequence. That would be so awesome. It's the classic introduction to everything, right? The 90s animated series, Jubilee shows up in the mansion and Wolverine Gambit are like duking it out in the danger room that she walks into. And I think that happens early yeah. on in New Mutants. It's just, it's the classic. It's got to happen. Right. Oh, have that, that cartoon. You've got to have danger. You know, you got to have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Made for it. sure. I, I, I was just going to say about that, that cartoon with, with Jubilee is I love how many Easter eggs they had in there, like nods to the comic. Like the fact that it was Wolverine versus Gambit because that was like a, that was like a real big deal in the comic books when they, when they fought the first time was like in the danger room and Gambit won and Jubilee was like all heartbroken because she thought Wolverine was the best. And uh, that was such that was such a cool moment, you know. Again, for people to argue like, well, he couldn't really beat him, you know, back and forth. Yeah, I'll I'll die on that hill. I'll die on that hill. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> this book came out in the generation. I don't know if you guys remember this, but when I was little, Pizza Hut used to have like a kids meal, and you could get an X Men comic book at it. So in '93, like oh, two years into this, they had like a four issue miniseries that you'd like have to go to Pizza Hut four months in a row with your family. And I remember, like, we used to have to, like, pick the meal once a month, and I would beg my parents to go to Pizza Hut. And they'd always say, no, we can't afford to do that. But one year, um, my dad actually went at work, and he got the comics at lunch and gave them to me for Christmas that year, even after telling us we couldn't afford to go to Pizza Hut. But I got the Pizza Hut special editions. I was there. I lived it, too. I I booked it my way into that. (laughs) I read enough regular books to get my comic books as a kid. Awesome. <laughs> That's, yes, I did. I did that program right. You, you had to do your reading. Your parents had to sign it, and then you got your free uh, personal pan. Exactly. Pizza. That, I got that one from that. Right. <laughs> oh, those are great memories. <laughs> Man, that was a big deal. That and the the uh, Marvel trading cards. Oh, the yeah, cards. Yes! Binders full of them, and they were like, like, uh, like crime lords. Like they could get you to do anything for a couple, like for a, and a double of their beast. You know. Like, <laughs> I, that's man. how we sorted all have... our playground debates was there were power levels on the back of those right that's... yeah yeah <laughs> i still have mine i saw my i i collected series three and uh i was i was really proud of myself for finishing that collection it was uh thor's origin that was the the missing piece it was like super ultra rare hard to find and i was talking about with this kid that i barely knew and he's like oh i got two of those you can have one i'm like you're kidding whatever and he's like no for real 
And uh, yeah, so for Christmas, yeah, he gave me Thor's origin. Just like I, I'd almost forgotten he'd even talked about it. He's like, here you go. I couldn't believe it. I was so happy. <laughs> so you still remember what, like, you know, <laughs> 28 years later or whatever. You mentioned Man. in this issue that the X-Men have to split into two teams, the blue team and the gold team. So if you could form a team yeah. of X-Men from all, all the X-Men you've known throughout all of time, which six characters would you put on your X-Men team? Oh, that is so hard. <laughs> that is such a hard You can question. do three if that, if that makes it easier. What are uh, your top three? No, it's okay. Like, uh, Well, for sure Cyclops. He's far and away my number one. Um, Cyclops is... is uh, yeah, that's another thing about those Fox movies that, that, that just kills me because they, they clearly did not understand how important Cyclops is to the team. Like, you don't, you don't have an X-Men movie if you don't do Cyclops, right? No, seriously. Like, Wolverine's awesome. Yeah, hop in, back me up. That's that man. Every time somebody's like, "Oh, Cyclops is a jerk. I hate Cyclops." I I, I tell them like, "Hey, can you imagine being told you're going to a special school, a special school for gifted kids, and you get there, and all it turns out is that while you're on field trips, you have to keep track of all of your six weird friends that have crazy powers <laughs> that you can't predict, and also you are absolutely in charge of them all the time. So anyway, I'll see you guys when you get back. Like, what? Yeah, I'd be a jerk too." <laughs> yeah i i um actually flagged this video on on youtube um that uh it, it was just uh about you know 18 minutes it was why cyclops is the best x-man and uh it was just a fantastic video because actually very well thought out it wasn't just like a fanboy you know right. just going well it's because of this wolverine's stupid you know it wasn't <laughs> anything like that um i wouldn't even agree that wolverine's stupid i really like wolverine he'd be on my team too like I said, I love the uh, the relationship between those two in the comics. I don't I don't think they did it justice in the films. No, in the films it was like Wolverine's cool, Cyclops is a prick. Let's just kill off Cyclops so everyone can be happy that Wolverine gets the girl. Yeah, and uh, it's just a really shallow story. Whereas in, in the comics, you know, it's like yeah, Wolverine was interested in Gene for a while, um, but you know, he's also been interested in a lot of other people too. <laughs> you know, actually really liked him when he was uh he and storm were a thing i thought that was actually kind of cool like the, to see their relationship um so yeah definitely cyclops on the team definitely wolverine probably gambit and rogue because i i like those two together a lot as well i i, I learned very early on at a young age that i'm like a relationship driven person because i would read these comics and i'd be like rooting for the the couples you know um like, I remember at the time, it was Cyclops and Gene, right? And then when they split up the teams, they ended up on different teams. I always thought that was weird, you know? Um, so then Cyclops ended up on the team with Psylocke, and, like, Psylocke was going through a phase or something. She was basically trying outright to, like, seduce Cyclops. And I remember they ended one issue on a cliffhanger of, like, will they, won't they, Cyclops and Psy Psylocke, what's going to happen? And I was talking to my brother. I was, like, upset about it as a kid. I'm like, man... She needs to back up off him. Like, he's with Jean. That's her teammate. She needs to respect that. You know, Cyclops better do the right thing. You know, like, I was, like, really concerned about it. Like shaking your fist um, in your comic. Yeah, it's just like, what are you doing? I was also, like, 12. I didn't really understand. <laughs> wasn't really there yet. Um, so uh, there's a... Have you guys read the Mr. and Mrs. X comics? Yeah, and the wedding right before it, the... There was like a wedding that led into it, a one shot. Yeah, yeah. The well was I. I didn't get that part. I I just have the Mister and Mrs X Volume One and Two because 
I, yeah, a lot of the comics I get are dictated by what's available at half price books, you know, reasonable, um, definitely reasonable. And yeah. And I was just, I was like, this is so great. Cause these two have been like on again, off again since I was a kid, you know, since the, like early nineties, I'm like, they finally got together. That's great. And it was such a fun story. The two of them together off on a space adventure. Like what, what else do you need? And, and Gambit, you know, it really is a cool character and rogue of course is just super compelling. So, um, definitely those two, I gotta say, it's funny because what I waffle on, like I was talking about Scott and Gene back in the day, what I waffle on is I don't know who I like better with Scott anymore, whether it's Gene or, or Emma Frost. Uh, oh, wow. Cause <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you have thoughts on that. I want to hear them. I haven't had this conversation with anybody. So what are your thoughts? On I just that? feel like, like feet. Okay. So obviously both of the, both of them have done pretty bad stuff. Uh, historically speaking, uh, mm-hmm. but one was under the the power of a celestial being, mm-hmm. and the other one was just a bad person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's like just that's it. It's like it's player. a redemption arc, right? It's sure, part of sure. I think part of what she loves about Cyclops is that he's always worked so hard to toe the line. Mm-hmm. He's always tried to be the good guy, and I think that's what she's drawn to. Right? Is like she started out on a very bad path. And she's trying to go legit. And so she gravitates to this guy who's just like, you know, always tried to be legit. I, I don't know. I thought it was. Um, no, that's a really, more that's a really strong point. That's a really strong point. Like she goes for the guy who has the strong jaw, right? Like he knows where he wants to be. And uh, she's going to let him sort of lead as he's supposed to. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't have a strong opinion either way on both of them beyond the initial uh, <laughs> one controlled one decided to kill people and one didn't. But uh, <laughs> with that in mind, you know, I, I think you are right about Emma. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I found is that I, I just thought Scott and Gene were were the, um, you know, what's, what's the word for, um, you know, just just kind of going back to like the 50s innocent, kind of like, you know, they're the, they're the power they're couple. Going the, steady. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going steady. They're, you know what is the word I'm looking I can't find the word I'm looking for. Just basically um, to almost, almost so good that they're boring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just a little, a little too perfect. Sure. Um, which honestly never bothered me. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't like, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, that's why we broke them up. Cause they were just too perfect and they were boring. I'm kind of like, well, the world is an ugly place. So it's okay. My escapism, if there's like perfect people who are happy together, <laughs> I don't mind that. You know, like that's okay. It's something to shoot for and be comforted by. Right. Um, maybe it's because I went through a divorce. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's part of it for me that I've been through a breakup and everything, and and so I could relate to Scott in that uh, in in a way. It's obviously very different in the details, but if uh, that's the reason, it's a damn good one. Like yeah, just kind of like uh, I don't know. I, I thought. Uh, do you guys read Joss Whedon's run, The Astonishing X Men? Definitely, yeah. Because he really delved into that, and uh, and I thought what he did with it made made it work. Because when I first read about it in like the Morrison stuff, I didn't care for Morrison's run, um, Was and it, it just weird? to me, it just kind of felt like a cheap trick. Like, oh, Scott's going to start cheating on Gene, but it's all going to be in his head, so that's how he's going to justify it. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, I don't know, Morrison um, TM. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like. That's the beauty of comics, right? Is because somebody can do something that you don't like, but then the next writer can come along and then do something amazing with it that makes you go, "Well, maybe it was for the best," you know. 
because Whedon started to like, yeah, do do like I was doing a second ago, where where he starts to explain like why Emma's drawn to him and what he likes about Emma, and you start to go, okay, now I'm rooting for these couple, you know, now now I'm really like, oh my gosh, they're actually like falling in love and they're being decent to each other, and that's really cool, and there's still a bit of tension there, but um, so I'm I'm actually kind of leaning toward. To round out my team, I'm going to have Emma Frost on this team. Plus, I love the way she just condescends everybody in the books. Yeah, <laughs> like, really. You get good dialogue, yeah. I, I do super love Jean Grey, like the uh, the, the X-Men Red that, that came out not too long ago, where she was basically the main character assembling her team of X-Men. I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, the costume was great, too. Yeah, yeah. They had really, really good costumes, really good story, all of it from start to finish. People were talking about with the Hickman run of like, oh, we're finally going to have good X-Men comics. We haven't had good X-Men comics forever. And I was like, you guys must have skipped Red then because that was really good. Oh, uh, man. Hickman, every yeah. time. Every single time. Hickman always fixes whatever's wrong. I don't know. I really like I really like House of X, Powers of Ten. But everything after that for me has been a mess. Really? Oh man, uh, the Fantastic the Fantastic yeah. Four run and the FF run that ran uh, concurrently, where it's like read Fantastic Four two weeks later, read FF two weeks later, read Fantastic Four back and forth. Oh, pardon me, pardon me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about his X. Oh, sure. Which is actually that's the shocker for me because exactly what you're saying. Um, I never cared about Fantastic Four at all. There's nothing against them. I just never. I didn't read their books. I didn't know anyone who read their books. Um, so. I actually only got into Fantastic Four after I read Hickman's Avengers run that culminated in Secret Wars. And someone pointed out, like, he actually was planting the seeds for all this back on his Fantastic Four run. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, you know. So definitely. I went back and collected those. That's, yeah, I went back and collected those Fantastic Four, and they are brilliant. That's They're where really it started brilliant. for me, like, the end of the series, like, a man, like, teary-eyed and everything. That was fantastic. And now I, I go mm-hmm. back and I read all the old stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, Burn has such a connection to the origin of Fantastic Four as we know them now. And yeah. he has a connection to the X-Men as well. So it's almost like uh, a second wave, uh, a second golden age for Marvel came from Burn. Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah. You were talking about those essential volumes. That's mm-hmm. how I got familiar with the Uncanny X-Men. Like, I went back and bought, you know, like, uh, the essential volumes, like, one through five, I think. And, oh, man. Good investment. And you, you can see Burn's influence on Jim Lee, mm-hmm. right? Like Burn was definitely the predecessor to Jim Lee, and I love Burn's art. I think it's sharp and crisp and fantastic. He did some writing too, didn't he, John Byrne? Yeah, Burn. Yeah, uh, Burn co-wrote the Fantastic Four run and the event, the early X Men stuff. Yeah, good on him, man! What a talent! Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm I'm so used to thinking of the thinking of the X Men on Kenny X Men as like the Claremont mm-hmm. era, but then I I remember watching like an interview with John Byrne and, and he was talking about doing some writing. I'm like, holy smokes! Yeah, he did. He did some yeah, writing in addition to the art. His uh, his Fantastic Four run is credited to him. You know, he did the art and the writing at the same time, and that's that was awesome. that's spectacular. I mean, I grew up on uh, classic X Men, which were the reprints mm-hmm. of uh, X Men Volume One Ninety Four on that came out in like eighty six, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I just have like a strong connection to that team specifically. Like as far as I'm concerned, as a kid, if you would have asked like you know eight year old me who were the original X Men, I would tell you like Colossus, X Men, Nightcrawler. Uh, Sorry, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, uh, all those guys. Banshee, Storm. Yeah, Banshee. Yeah, Warpath. those are all the original ones to me. And uh, oh, sorry, it wasn't Warpath. It was it was um, 
Thunderbird, no, Warpath, right? Oh, Thunderbird, yeah. And then Warpath took up the, the mantle later. Yeah. <laughs> His very similar looking brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the character, though, that uh, that's really grown on me. Uh, Warpath. I, I got more familiar with him in the uh, the uh, Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire run. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, if people are listening and have not read the Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, do yourselves a favor and Check that out, because I think that is some of the most fun I've ever had with comics. That was one of these just, like, lucky purchases. Again, half-price books. Just, here's a run of 12 issues in a row. You almost never find that. You know, it's like, here's 1 through 6, and here's 9 through 12. And you're like, oh, but where's 7 and 8, you know? <laughs> um, but here they, they were all there, you know, 1 through 12, so I bought them up. And, man, again, it was that feeling of being transported back in time, and I'm just a kid on a Sunday afternoon just pouring over my comics. I probably read all 12 in a day just straight because I couldn't put them down. Is that they the, were just so much fun. Is that the run with the third Summers brother? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Vulcan. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I love the whole Rebel Without a Cause vibe that you get from Vulcan. He just kind of keeps, you know, lashing out against people. And he keeps ending up in positions of greater power until eventually he is the <laughs> spoiler alert, right? Like the ruler of the Shi'ar Empire. And you're like, wait, well, how did that happen? <laughs> and then there's some great stories that came after that. Did you guys read all the rest? Like the Kingbreaker and then the, eventually the War of Kings. Yep. Now the, yeah, the Shi'ar and the Kree are going at it and it's Vulcan versus uh, Black Bolt. I am such a nerd right now and I'm loving everything. No, that's cool. That's, that's the whole point of our, our recording, honestly, is we just we record ourselves talking about comics for you know, 30 to 60 minutes. And uh, then we say, here you go, everybody. I hope you like it. Whether or not they like it, we're going to keep making it. (laughs) We'll find out someday. Sure. Well, hey, I'm happy to join you and talk with you guys like this, because this is, this is so much fun. This is definitely, uh, this, this is my hobby. This is what I'm into. You know, I, I go to half price every week, you know, every week I'm just hoping to find a book that I don't already own. That looks like it could sit well next to the other stuff on my shelf. But, uh, and I've discovered a lot of gems, you know, um, that Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire is one of them. And Thunderbird was such a uh, a fun character in that Or in uh, X-Force, um, too. He was, he was pretty big in X-Force. Mm-hmm. The X-Force one was, again, is another one that was, like, just a little too dark, a little too graphic for me. Not a bad book, but just, like, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where that cutoff is for me, you know, right. where that line is. But I, I looked at it and went, oh, this is a really cool concept. I didn't necessarily like the art style. I didn't necessarily like I think the, the tone. The art, the art did a lot um, for that series book. to make it kind of gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's basically. I mean, I don't. I don't care to judge because I know that some people are going to say that the art that I like is really dull, and the art that I don't like is really amazing. And that's that's all subjective, right? Like people like true. different things. So that's fine. But that was my feeling too. Though it was like yes, it's just a little like, like I don't really. Clayton for what Crane doing. draws weird people. Clayton Crane, if you're listening, feel free to email me. You draw <laughs> weird people. It's true. <laughs> I'll tell you, I really did like X Force though when they did the crossover for the uh, like the Messiah Complex. Yeah. And the Second Coming. That the so the premise of X Force I thought was brilliant, and and it circles back to why Cyclops is the best X Man. You know because he's taken over leadership of not just the X-Men, but like the mutant race at this point in the fallout of House of M and No More Mutants. And, you know, they're an endangered species now. And so he's like, 
yeah, Charles' dream of coexistence, that's like a luxury we can't afford right now. Right now we need to, uh, you know, we need to look out for ourselves and we need to strike first. We can't wait for them to come to us. So puts together X-Force, tells Wolverine, I want you to find the bad guys and get them before they get us. And, I mean, that's just, you know, it sounds a lot like Magneto, which circles back to why I think Magneto's so great. X-Force has been like that forever. I remember back when uh, the first X-Force came out around the time of this book, there was a scene where Cannonball had to slap Professor X across the face to show him that you can use a hand to, like, attack, but you can also use it to protect. And he opens, like, his fist, and he's got, like, a mouse he was protecting inside his hand. And I'm just like, did this, like, teen just do that to Xavier? It was crazy. So even the old X-Force was (laughs) serving Xavier's mission, but under a different way. Yeah. Yeah, Cable was a really interesting character when he first showed up and and formed X-Force, right? We didn't know his origins at the time, but he was just like, he was sort of like the mutant Punisher, wasn't he? He's all geared out with all these like huge weapons and lecturing the X-Men about why they can't they can't you know be so naive and wait for the bad guys to strike. They need to toughen up. Yeah, I, I, I like that ongoing debate that they continue to have. I love Nightcrawler's reaction in the Messiah Complex when he finds out about X-Force, right? Beast and... Cyclo- or, sorry, Beast and Colossus and, and uh, Nightcrawler, they all have this really adverse reaction, right? To like, they're just appalled at what Wolverine and, and he's a literal demon. Uh, and I, I just. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by the way, we're talking about my team. Nightcrawler would definitely yeah. be on that team. Oh, there we go. We got uh, all six. That's he's just, great. He's one of the best. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, I'm sitting there with a the pen and paper, and what? he's like, "Come on, just say the, say sixth, the sixth name. Let's do it." Okay. Well, I was wondering if I should circle back or not, too, because that was that was on the back of my mind. It's like I haven't given all six yet. I don't know if we've moved keeping on it, or if I still keeping need it to, open. To stay. We don't either. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, you know, I also want Shadowcat, Colossus on my team. Oh, you man. know, another power Colossus. couple. You know, I like. Well, and boy, did have you know Joss Whedon made him so cool in the Astonishing X-Men run. I love his introduction, you know, with Chris Claremont, you know, his original introduction. Yeah, he's just working he the field. Yeah, but he's, he's such a huge, strong guy. He, you know, he's made of metal. He could be so intimidating, but he's really just a giant. Yeah, he likes to paint. You know, he likes he, to read. He's, yeah, he's a poet. Like, not a poet, but a painter and, and, and an artist. And and he's got such a good heart. I, man, you know? I love Colossus uh, so much. He's, he's my favorite X-Man. He is fantastic, and that—that's why, I like, when when they brought him back, right, in that astonishing X Men run, suddenly it's like life took a dump on him, and he's not taking it anymore. And yeah. uh, there's a particular panel, right, where the aliens who had like, you know, trapped him for whatever, and and been experimenting on him, and he finally gets a chance to lash out at at Adam uh, Ord, right? Ord was his name, and. Uh, and the guy's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid of you made of metal. Like, and he's like, I'm not made of metal. I am made of rage. And he just beats the crap out of that guy. And that's it's like, that's the moment when you realize he was this scary all along. Yeah. Yeah. He just held it back. He was just a good guy, but you push him too far. And like, he's going to show you just how scary he is. And I, for me, I, that was like a real powerful moment. Cause I'd grown up with this character. You know, he's, he's almost like that that big brother, you know, that you wish you had, right? Like, no, it's not a slight against my big brother. It's just <laughs> this impossible image of a big brother. I don't brother, have one, so right? I can say it all I want. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's, the big, he's the big brother that you wish you had. Yeah. Like uh, the issue that's uh, Kitty's, Kitty's bedtime story, Kitty's fairy tale. 
where Colossus is telling Shadowcat a, a bedtime story because there was a there's a pretty big age difference or not a big age difference. There was a big age difference. There was initially, right? Like she was. <laughs> She was like in her teens, and he was obviously in his twenties. Yeah, and you know, he, she was like he young teens, about the, the early twenties. The pirates and and you know um, Lockheed is in it as a dragon, and the cover is him with mm-hmm. a bandana, and no shirt, like a romance novel. Man, that's, a, <laughs> that's fantastic. It's a really good issue. It's like by itself, perfect, like peak peak burn in Claremont. Like it's fantastic, <laughs> classic. <laughs> well, we had one other topic for today. We usually talk about two different stories, so we talked about. Jim and Claremont, Jim Lee and at Claremont's X Men number one. Next, we're going to talk about Secret Invasion, which was a crossover in two thousand eight. So, did you guys mm-hmm. read, reread this recently? You're, you're ready to discuss a little bit? Yeah, I'm sure I reread it uh, every so often. It's just a it's just a great story. Yeah, and they just announced a Disney Plus show for this through that uh, Disney shareholders live stream, right, or whatever. Right. So I'm pumped. So- I can't wait. I, yeah, I posted that up on my Facebook when they made that announcement, and that was like there was just there was too much information to take in in that whole thing. I'm still digesting. Yeah, that for me, yeah, that for me was the highlight though. Was like Secret Invasion is coming um, because what I and what I said on my Facebook then what I really hope is that the series leads up to the next big movie crossover event because if we don't get to see like a giant Secret Invasion movie, you know that just seems wrong. So I, I see. I see the series as the perfect way to kind of to build, right? Because that's what the event ultimately was in the comics, right? Was they were planting these seeds, like, you know, it felt like years in advance, you know, like given hints of something's not quite right with these people. Because um, once it all sets off, then things move, like, very quickly, you know. And that's that's what I would love to see in the movie is, like, the the culmination of all of it. But the the slow build is is definitely better suited for a, for a TV series. That lended a lot to the series as well. Like the revelations of who's a scroll and, and what's the next bad thing that people are going to do to each other. I think waiting every month made built so much tension for that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it tied, into, it tied into everything. The, the premise of the story, if you haven't read secret invasion yet, is that the scrolls had a bunch of sleeper agents on earth that were replacing heroes. This was post civil war. So each state in the U S had its own, like, teenage super team in training and they had planted a scroll onto each of those 50 teams so they had orchestrated all of that and the secret invasion story is the scrolls basically awakening all their sleeper agents and the heroes villains and everybody having to deal with the aftermath and it's just crazy <laughs> yeah it's such it, it opens so well right it's such a great coordinated strike where like it, it's just in a day like the, all the world's like security system just go down right my, my favorite part is when they they crash the shield helicarrier, you know, mm-hmm. just, it's like an EMP or something. And just, boom, <laughs> they never had a chance. I was just yeah. trying to like, I was just trying to figure out how it would feel like to be a super scroll. You know, you're, you're genetically engineered to copy these X, uh, superhero powers and, and, and replicate them all one at a time. Right. And, you know, as a fantastic four fan, I'm like, Oh, well the Supreme one is, is Colert, you know, the one that copied the fantastic four. Mm-hmm. And then it means that there's a super scroll who copied the Great Lakes Avengers. Like a super team <laughs> that has a guy who can be flat and a lady who's pretty overweight. Like that's your that's your super scroll power <laughs> that can, can be flaming and it's stone and invisible at the same time and you can't die to the point of being annoying. Like that's your super scroll power. Great. <laughs> Yeah, as, as as a Minnesotan, it was kind of tough to see like who they chose for like the 
the Great Lakes Avengers. Like even the name <laughs> Great Lakes Avengers. Like, oh come on, guys. Like, this is... You can do better than that. <laughs> you know, like suddenly like Paul Bunyan's on the team. He's got his big, you know, <laughs> buffalo bait or whatever. <laughs> even even Alpha Flight's like, come on, guys, bring it together. <laughs> what are you doing down there? <laughs> we got some hard questions. Like, at least for give you. us power pack or something. Oh yeah, we got some good questions. We got some hard questions for you. So if if someone from the card game team at FFG was secretly a scroll sleeper agent, who do you think it would be and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> who's who's a scroll? <laughs> they won't listen, it's okay. Um, you can tell us. Oh, it's definitely Boggs because you know there's there's no way he can be that much better at designing cards than me. He has to be an alien. <laughs> oh, that's a good He's playing the long <laughs> game too, he's got a plan. So are you a scroll as well? <laughs> well, I, I can't divulge that. Okay, sure. We'll, we'll accept that for now. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool that almost all of the characters in Marvel Champions are featured in this Secret Invasion story, from Spider-Woman to Hawkeye, um, even Bucky Barnes taking over as Captain America. So if any of the Marvel Champions characters were a scroll sleeper agent, which Marvel Champions hero do you think would be most likely to be a Skrull in the game right now? Oh, man. Man, I was like, well, now i got to think what's out there already. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> She-Hulk, because she's already green. It's like a double bluff. you know. <laughs> it's got to be Spider-Woman. I don't, I don't trust her. Double agent. It makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can- canonically, it should be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm flipping through the the pages of of uh, the Secret Invasion book right now, and and I realized that one of my favorite things about this story is just how many of these gigantic splash pages you get. You know, the, the two page spreads where you know you can just go through and and count like you know two dozen different characters that yeah. you recognize. Yeah, especially in the know. back half of it. Like, oh man, I wish I could I could talk to me when that was new. And just hear like the crazy mm-hmm. theories that I had about Secret Invasion and who's a scroll, and just tell them no, that's not the case. <laughs> you had mentioned getting back into comics for Civil War. This is yeah, when I, think... I got back into comics, so I remember it was just speculation for everything. It was it was amazing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I missed I missed the uh, the release, so I didn't get any of that cool um, anticipation or excitement. I. I just kind of sat down and read through the whole thing at once. You know, actually, it, it was tough getting back into comics. Um, like I said, I got back in around Civil War, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just picking up stuff from uh, Half Price when I can find it. So I ended up reading a whole bunch of stuff out of order. You know, and it, it took me a while to figure out, like, wait, wait, this happened before <laughs> this, like, you know, like, yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah, especially after kind of, this, kind of, uh, Civil War and Secret Invasion, it's like a whole different Marvel. Yeah, now I was just going to say, I think that is, honest to goodness, my favorite part of Secret Invasion is the ending and the impact that it had on comics after that. I I love that that Norman Osborn comes out on top as a result of his involvement in defeating the Skrulls. And, uh, and Tony Stark, uh, of course, is, you know, fired as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. for allowing the Secret Invasion to happen in the first place. Um so suddenly Norman Osborn's top cop in the world and the Avengers either work for him or they're outlaws. And yeah, that whole dark reign, there was a lot of great storytelling that came out of that. I really felt like Marvel was on a run for several years where they just, 
like it just kept getting better and better and better. And, and I, I eventually, you know, kind of got everything in the correct order, you know, where I was like, okay, what happened first? Cause I didn't really follow Avengers as a kid. I only started reading Avengers basically since the, the movies you know, started coming out. Um, so I picked up Avengers disassembled and boy, what a great book. Right. And I realized like, that's, that's where it started. That was the paradigm shift. Yeah, that was a that was a stunner as a kid. I can't. I couldn't believe yeah. what I was reading. Like mm-hmm. vi- again, spoiler: what you had plenty of time. Uh, <laughs> Vision getting ripped in half. I I looked at that page by She Hulk. Yeah, She Hulk. Yeah, I read it. I, I I remember reading it and then closing the book and like sitting. I was sitting in uh, my high school theater actually, and I read it. I closed the book and I kind of sat back for a second. I opened it up and I looked at it again and I said, yep, that's what it was. And I closed the book again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Those are magical moments when you're, you know, you're young and impressionable and, uh, and, and, you know, movies or or books or what can, can have that impact on you that it's, it's almost like, you know, it it affects you. It's not just something you read. It affected you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I had to like put it all in order because I, like I said, I didn't ever really read the Avengers. Um, so New Avengers is my Avengers. That's that's where I started reading. That's a good choice. Uh, that's a really yeah, good it's choice. really good. It's it's so much fun. And I recently decided I was like going to go back and kind of like reread a lot of this New Avengers stuff because again, I was kind of picking up wherever I could find them. And so I'm reading through them in order, and I'm like. Holy smokes! The the seeds of Secret Invasion are are here very very early. Yeah, in the New Avengers run. Yeah, the green. The you green know, and kid. this is. Yeah, this is before we've even gotten to, Civil War hasn't even happened yet, mm-hmm. right? So I I really noticed you know that that Marvel was just on this amazing trajectory with okay Avengers has gotten too big and bloated let's just blow it up, start fresh with New Avengers and then there was the the other Mighty Avengers run going on which. I don't know. I just didn't get it. I think we should have we should have um, picked up on on your favoritism of new do Avengers a lot faster, considering that that's I think that's one of the few complete rosters that we can make in Marvel Champions as of right now. It is sure, and uh, I think well, I think I think I think what you're going to find a lot of time is, is there's going to be a lot of overlap between what's in the game and what's in the in the films, and I think it's easy for people to say, oh, it's because it's in the movies, and there, there's truth in that. You know, there's no point in trying to disguise it. If, if you have a multi-billion dollar, um, you know, advertising industry going for your game, you know, you might as well, you know, <laughs> lean into it a little bit. Right. We, um, we got Scott over Hank. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, well, that like that's that's kind of a fair example where I actually, you know, originally pitched Hank and Janet um, for, from the comics to say, hey, let's let's do original. And that was actually one situation where Marvel was like, could we do could we do Scott um, instead? And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, hey, if they're if they're cool with us, we're cool with them. You know, so it's, it's not a big ask for them to say, let's do Scott instead. You just go, yeah, Scott's cool, too. <laughs> you know, of course. Um, so, yeah, it was it was on my mind, like, to do the original and be like, well, maybe we'll get to Scott, you know, at some point. Because, of course, Hank's still a very big deal in the comics, or at least he was until he turned into Ultron recently. Um, <laughs> so. Well. They're doing okay together. It's you, you said you liked you liked couples working out, and um, I feel like Ultron and Hank are really getting along to some degree. There's yeah. some discussion going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
They have but like I was saying, though, it's like it's not really all just about what's in the MCU. It's actually more that I think the MCU has been very smart uh, about choosing the the strongest um, storylines and and the the most well received uh, lineups, right? And uh, and so you see this too in things that we picked early on that turned out Marvel was thinking the same thing. And people, of course, are like, oh, they must have known. We did not know <laughs> She-Hulk was getting a show. We didn't. We just said She-Hulk's an awesome character. Like, she's just super fun. And uh, her books are great. If you haven't read them, you're missing out. Like, she, she's fantastic. Check out the Charles Cole um, run from the Marvel Now relaunch. That's a really good run. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was just like, when they asked me, who do you think should go in the core? I was like, let's get She-Hulk in there, you know? Um, we'll do Hulk as a pack. He'll be he'll be there too. I know everyone wants Hulk as well. We're, it's not like we're going to not do him. Um, but it was funny how many people were like, "Oh, Marvel must have told him they had to do this and that uh, <laughs> because they're planning something down the road." And it's like, boy, wouldn't that be nice if Marvel thought our game was such a big deal that they wanted <laughs> to plant seeds for future stories in our like hero selection? Boy, if, if you need a uh, you need a back pocket <laughs> counterpoint for that, then you should. If somebody says that to you, then you should tell them. Yeah, well, we can also build the West Coast Avengers, and that's not happening anytime soon. So, <laughs> like any that iteration of the West Coast of. Avengers can happen. <laughs> yeah, no, the New Avengers was just such a fun read, and and so many great characters that, that of course, I'm going to want those in the game as soon as possible. And then, but yeah, everything leading up to Secret uh, Event or sorry, Secret uh, Invasion was just you know hit after hit. And then after, again, it just, I felt like it kept getting better with Dark Rain and then Siege, right? Like, I think maybe Siege is where I think maybe it started to, like, they hit their peak for a while. Well, when did uh, Avengers vs. X-Men was all before this, right? That's, that was the part of the timeline I got mixed up. AVX was after Siege. But that was before all this, too. Was it after mm -hmm. Siege? Oh, right, because it, it's, it's a House of M that came, like, way before. Yeah. Yep. And AVX is, like, still carrying on the thread of House of M. Yeah. Like they planted some seeds, man. They they like they really played the long game for a few for a few years there that it it uh it, I just thought it was great. It instead of feeling like they were just bouncing from one idea to the next, it felt like they really had a roadmap, you know, for like three or four years worth of fantastic mm -hmm. content. Oh yeah. And I felt like it really paid off. And at the end of AVX, we got uh, A plus X, and I'm a sucker for team-up books, so AVX is a great event in my book because I got a really awesome team-up afterwards. Like, that's... Yeah, I had such <laughs> a mixed reaction uh, to AVX when it first came out because, of course, I was hyped. I Like, I was finally getting kind of caught up around that time, and so I was there for the announcements and the hype of, like, oh, it's coming. They're going to be fighting. You and... couldn't believe it. They're fighting. <laughs> like, yeah, I wanted to see that. And then they're like... But it's really all about this Phoenix Five now, and I was like, "Oh, that's but that's not what I want to see. I want to see Avengers vs X Men," you know. Um, so my first, my initial response was like not so great, but then, you know, it's one of those things where like, well, now now you know what it is rather than what you hoped it would be. You go back and read it on its own merits, and you're like, "All right, that's pretty fun." But the stories that came after, those were the best for sure. But, it's like part of the restoration, like Uncanny Avengers and stuff. I I don't know if you remember in AVX, you, you probably do, but they also did like a like an anti team up book where it was like matchups. And yeah, it have, yeah. It would have like some cool guy versus somebody else, right? So the the book that really resonated with me, obviously, is uh, the first like ticket was the Ciderac powered up Colossus versus Spider Man, 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> that is sweet. That's awesome. And I looked below, and it's Gambit versus Cap. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's already over. Like, why am I even going to buy this book? <laughs> you can fling cards. Yeah, there was, some, neat. there was some really bad mismatches, like <laughs> uh, Magic, you know, Ileana Rasputin versus Black Widow. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> one of these people is like, uh, you know, slightly superpowered spy. The other one can teleport you to hell. <laughs> like, like, that's done. That's already done. <laughs> just a bad day. It's just a bad day, yeah. That, that was kind of part of my problem with AVX, too, is that I, I just, I don't know. I felt like the writing was slipping. Like, you could already see the cracks starting to form when it was like, um, you know, Magneto versus Iron Man. And you're like, that's over, you know. <laughs> And they're like, oh, but you don't know Tony Stark. I'm like, pretty sure he still has metal circuitry somewhere in that suit, you know? Yeah, I think he I think he wins that, like, because he's, like, rubber suit or something like that. Like, same as the Jim Lee number one, to bring it all full circle. He's like, or See, the, the you Punisher, know it, right? Do you know what it made me feel like? What it made me feel like is, have you ever, have you ever seen the, um, on YouTube, there's this series of videos called X-Men, E-X-Men. Right? They're all being fired by Professor X. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Who, who's the guy that does those? What, what late night talk show host um, does those? I always oh, forget man, his who name. Who is that? Uh, let me look it up. I'm going to have to look it up. X-Men. Yeah, because there's, there, there's one where it's uh, he's firing Wolverine. And uh, it's Pete Holmes. Yeah, there it there is. There it is. Yep. Uh, Pete if, if there's any uh, X-Men fans in the audience that like, uh, you know, some some insult humor, uh, check out the, the X-Men <laughs> videos on YouTube. Because he's, yeah, he's firing them all. And the first one I saw is still the best one. I mean, he's firing Wolverine. And he's just making fun of him for being, oh, you're the cool guy. Yeah, everyone's favorite. Yeah, you're useless. You're fired. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, you're made of metal. And that is the one thing that our worst <laughs> villain can manipulate. You know? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're, you're. So let's just imagine Magneto's on like one end of a bridge, and he's like killing a lot of people, right? Like a lot. <laughs> what are you gonna do? He's like, I'm gonna run at him. You're going, okay? Like even if you get there, that's like what two dozen people dead by the time you get there. He's like, I got a motorcycle, and he's like, what's a motorcycle made of? <laughs> oh man, I'm. Gonna and Wolverine's like, you can see Wolverine trying to dodge the question, and he's like. It, it's made of tubes. <laughs> yeah, tube. A series of tubes or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny. And that's what I thought about. I'm like, okay, this this is about I can take this about as seriously as, you know, Wolverine getting fired by Professor X here. Is is Iron Man fighting Magneto or or Luke Cage in the thing battling Namor underwater. Like <laughs> <laughs> only one of those people can actually breathe underwater. <laughs> like that, that fight's over. He just holds him down, you know? <laughs> he wins the fight the same way like your big brother wins a fight in the pool. Like <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I, I was just so frustrated at the, like, try a little harder, guys. Like, you know, it's not that you couldn't tell an interesting story about Thing and, and Luke Cage fighting Namor, because there's obviously lots of history there. But, you know, make it compelling or, you know, let us believe that this could actually happen versus... Yeah, that should be done, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I, I was just like the initial, the the big, all the build up, right? All and I, and I think that's what gets me is is uh, had I just picked it up off the shelf and read it, maybe I wouldn't have judged it as harshly. 
but after all the months of building up to it, and these are the initial shots fired, and immediately it just looks silly. If, and I, I'm like, come on. If it's any consolation, I I was in charge of, like, not in charge of, but I worked for a comic shop at the time, and uh, so I sold this book to people monthly. And um, no, it's the same thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you read it in one way or you waited a week between your, or a month between your slugfests. Uh, it's the same thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to kind of fill out my collection because it's a very important milestone in the storyline. And again, like I said, the comics that came after were so good. I mean, that I felt like they really, they really redeemed that, that story, at least in my it's opinion. It's what I wanted in comics. And that tells you a lot about me. I also own uh, hulked out heroes as a complete series. So obviously my taste is uh, real hot and cold. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> These they're all man, it's okay. <laughs> I, I like World War Hulk. When you're talking about Hulk, I thought that was a great book. It was a great book. That you know, like I remember I remember my brother kind of turning his nose up at it a little bit, being like, uh, like I think I I had it at the at the house and he came over and it was thumbing through and he's like, That doesn't seem like a very deep book. I'm like, No, it's not. That's <laughs> you're not reading it for for it's not meant to be deep. I said I said, right now. I'm at a place in life where I'm angry about a lot of things. This actually happened like right around the time of my divorce. Oh, no. And so like, I'm, I'm kind of angry about some things and I just like watching Hulk beat the shit out of everybody right now. That's what you, that's <laughs> that's what you signed up for. That's the name of the series. Like, how could you expect it to get something different? Like you think he's going to be talking for five issues and then issue six, it closes and we get a fight. No, it's the whole thing. He's, <laughs> he's, he's just slamming people around. I loved it. Honestly, I like he starts out. It's it made such a statement. The first person he beats up is Black mm -hmm. Bolt. Oh, right? man. You know, it's just <laughs> just so good. You know, that whole the Black Bolt's so powerful. His whisper can shatter your bones or whatever. And Hulk just going, I didn't come here to hear you whisper. I want to make you scream. Yeah. Beats him up on his own moon. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was that was such a good story. And I hadn't read Planet Hulk up to that point. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never been much of a a Hulk reader. And so you're getting this sense of a really deep backstory from his motivations for why is he attacking all earth's heroes? And, uh, and man, planet Hulk, what a ride. That was a fantastic book. I, so I love how one comic can lead me to another mm -hmm. like that. It's just never ending. <laughs> like me, when I get going, just never. That's ending. All right. That's, that's what we want. That's I don't think we mind one bit. I'm just sitting here trying to make sure the audio is still recording after our robot malfunction earlier. But yeah, crossovers totally get me. They're just my jam. I don't know why. I can never get over it. It doesn't matter how dopey they are. I will always fall prey to them. Yeah, I, I have found uh, through the years, I'm, I'm crossovers are my favorite things. I, I love seeing the different heroes interact. And actually, I think maybe I was, maybe I was reading through your your questions that you sent me ahead of time, or maybe I was making up one of my <laughs> own because I, I realized. That what I really want to see in comics that I don't see enough, that I'm surprised they don't do this more, is I want to see more um, cross-pollination of villains and, and heroes. Like, why haven't I seen the X-Men fight Ultron? You know what I mean? Like, why wasn't there a big storyline about the X-Men versus Ultron? Or, you know, um, Magneto versus the Avengers? Like, I know they've had little little bits here and there, but... I would love to see like people um, fighting other people's villains more. I think that would be really exciting. I remember they did a series either in the late 80s or early 90s uh, called Acts of Vengeance. Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. 
and and it was that was the premise was just um, Daredevil's villain is going to show up in Spider Man's book, right? You know, just uh, they're going to fight people that normally other heroes fight. Sadly, the only one I got was like Punisher versus Bushwhacker or something. It's like <laughs> Punisher got Daredevil's villain. And it's you like, can't yeah, tell the difference. They're all the same villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just not that exciting. But like, uh, yeah, like the ex- What about uh, like Kang is such a fantastic villain. Kang's a great. What if, what if Kang showed up to mess with the X Men? Right. Yeah. Like the X Men have done a lot of time travel in their books. Why hasn't Kang gotten involved and be like, you guys are breaking the timeline? I- I've had enough of that. You know. <laughs> well, good thing we have Marvel champions to fill that void someday, maybe. Early on, that was a that was like Doom's thing, you know. Like he mm-hmm. shows up as a as a Fantastic Four villain naturally, and then mm-hmm. the Avengers he gets in their face for a little bit. And there's a couple um, Doom issues in the Claremont Burn Run mm-hmm. where he's on the cover, yep. and you're like, oh, that's that's really sweet. And it turns out it's like an arcade bot. And you're like, oh, whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> that's true though. But Doom Doom really is like, you know, it's it's almost like a tie between Thanos and Doom for who is like the ultimate Marvel villain, right? Because doom has been the primary antagonist in both secret wars events, right? Like he's, uh, he's, he's, he's the biggest bad. I'm excited for him to make his MCU uh, debut. He should be fantastic. I thought you were going to say champions. Oh man. Oh, well that would be exciting too. I was like wringing my hands as that sentence was like going (laughs) and it just didn't happen. That's all right. Had to pick myself up from the floor there. Okay. I'm better now. I'm guessing his debut in Champions probably won't have the same cultural <laughs> impact as his debut in the no, MCU. No, it's a little bit down the road, and then uh, eventually we could be at a different point. <laughs> it will for the two of us, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be fun. Yeah, it, it's the kid in me. I, you can, I'm sure you guys can just hear it, like just gushing out of me. Like, uh, I would love to design Doctor Zoom. Uh, ho- hopefully, we'll we'll get that. I almost slurred. I was like, Dr. Zoom. <laughs> like, no. He's got a bunch of villains Dr. together Zoom. and make Dr. Zoom. <laughs> Dr. Zoom is like the Zoom and Enhance cliche. That's all he does. <laughs> Can you Zoom in? Can you clean that up? <laughs> we need Dr. He Zoom. He Enhance, and then you see like a zit like on Cap's nose, and then he felt, feels uncomfortable, and then he backs down. Yeah, like, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, we, we got through our long list of questions, so we... We answered them Did all. We, I was worried I derailed you at like the first one or something. That's the best nope. part. That's usually what happens. So, is there anything else you want to tell Marvel Champions players and listeners um, to get them hyped up for the future of Marvel Champions? Yeah, I'm thinking back to like you know my pitch I made you know to the new people considering getting into the game or whatever, and I and I feel like looking at how long I've been talking, you probably could have played two or three games of Marvel Champions in the time I've been talking. I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's why you guys are so happy to let me talk. You're busy yep. doing something else. <laughs> That's a good strategy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like my my uh, you know '90s high school roots are kind of showing here. Getting all self conscious talking about comics because like it wasn't cool at the time I was collecting them. You know, that was like that. Com- that was a conversation you saved uh, for after school when it was just you and your friends hanging out. It really is fun to see, uh, you know, for, <laughs> for my generation, it's fun to see how the nerds won. You know, like the MCU is like the biggest thing in the world now. And uh, me and my buddies that used to go to the comic store, you know, every every week as kids, we can go like, yeah, we've known this all along. Like, it's it's so fun to see it 
uh, on the big screen now, and it's the you know the the biggest pop culture thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, man, that 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 Marvel announcement—it's like it's not slowing down at all. It's just getting bigger. That's so cool. Excited for the future. That's for sure. It's just I can't wait. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah, it, it gets me excited too about like, uh, you know, to, to be like, I love all these movies and all these shows and oh, and I get to play in that sandbox too. Like what a what a fun job. What a fun time to be doing my job. Do you like do you suffer from like burnout from the designing? Or do you play at home like for fun by yourself? I um, what <laughs> you make this sound so sad or do you play at home? By by yourself, you know, maybe for fun, <laughs> and maybe you have <laughs> but a definitely good time by yourself because listening to you talk, there's no one sitting through a whole game with you. <laughs> That's how I feel. Um, I I think it is possible sometimes that I get a little burnt out. Like maybe I don't want to. Uh, maybe I won't play on my own. Like you know, at the end of the day, you know, like I'm not okay done with work. Now what should I do to unwind? I'm going to pull out Marvel Champions and play. Like I, I think that is. <laughs> That is one of those things where, you know, like for the people making the movies, they probably don't go, hey, hon, want to watch a movie? Let's watch that one I spent months working on. You know, like they're probably right. probably not watching that one because they're probably, as they're watching, going, oh, gosh, I remember filming that scene was so difficult, you know. And <laughs> and, and so it can be that way sometimes like, oh, yeah, I remember designing this. Usually my memories are good, you know, like this. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Boggs and I sat down and played through. Like I think recently we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy announcement. You know, with Rocket and Groot, and how and uh, yeah, <laughs> and I I do love to talk about how much fun I had playing through that Guardians campaign with Fox. That that was seriously some of the most fun I've had at FFG in in almost uh, well more than nine years now. Um, That's so good. Just to yeah, seriously, it was like there there were moments where I would pause uh, and just say, "Dude, we're getting paid to do this right now. <laughs> like, how cool is that? Like, I'm having a blast." I'm hanging out with a cool guy. We're, we're trading ideas and we're just enjoying this awesome game that you've made. And like, and, and, and they're paying us that that's just the icing on the cake, you know? Um, so I don't ever really get burned out on the job. I will at times say like, yeah, I'm probably not going to play, you know, Marvel champions this weekend when I hang out with my friend, this is pre COVID, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll play, you know, something else instead. Right. Right. Do you, so do you revisit Lord of the Rings? Now that it's all like wrapped up, you know what's funny is actually so it, it's interesting you're asking me this because I do think about this a lot. I never got burnt out on on Lord of the Rings when I was designing it, and it's not because I like it better than Marvel. I like both games very much, but I, I there was something about I don't I've been trying to figure out what it was. What was that something? Was it the people I was hanging out with? Was it the the, the scenarios we were playing, the, the decks we were playing. But there was a, a, a good long run where me and my buddies would, would meet up at the uh, FFG Game Center on Sunday. Um, we'd get together for lunch, and then we'd spend the afternoon playing games. And there there was a long time where we were, like, playtesting, you know, Lord of the Rings on Thursday nights and then getting together and just playing for fun on Sunday. That's awesome. Uh, Man, that sounds great. Yeah. Honestly, here's what it is. I think I would be doing that with Marvel, except COVID. I, I think that's yeah, really what's cool. going on. Absolutely. If I could be getting together with friends and playing, it's the getting together part. The fact that like I can't get together with my friends right now and do it is is probably the only reason I'm not doing that with Marvel as much. Uh, yeah, 
hundred percent. So no, I don't. I don't ever really get burnt out on the game, but I do. I, I will. I will share this with you guys. I do get intimidated sometimes. Uh, this you'll, you'll probably think it's funny, but um, some of these characters. I mean, really, almost all of these characters. They're so iconic, and they mean so much to so many people. And you've heard me gushing about them for like an hour and a half now, and what they meant to me as a kid. That uh, it, it almost like overwhelms me of like, oh my gosh, I get like one shot at designing this character, you know, and it's got to, uh, it's got to find its audience among all these people that like different runs and different costumes and different versions. And, um, and, and so it's, it's a fun challenge. Like 90% of the time, it's just a fun challenge, but every once in a while, I don't know exactly what it is. It's, I guess it's something like writer's block, you know, where you're just like, I don't, I don't know which way to go with this character, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it can, it can almost become this like dangerous, um, cycle of like, you know, now you're spinning your tires in the mud and, and the more you do it, the more you're just digging yourself in. Right. And, and you're uh, doing it to somebody's favorite character. Well, if it gives you some comfort, I've been slowly reading through all of the Hawkeye books ever, and I'm almost all the way through them. And nothing made me happier than when I opened that Rise of the Red Skull box and got to play Hawkeye for the first time. My wife and I sat down and played the campaign. Um, I'm pretty sure we just tried to do it all in one night. And I immediately was like, can we play this again? Um, we had to wait. So, spoiler alert, we got to eventually. But Hawkeye nailed it. Awesome. Well, that's that's super great to hear. Hawkeye, you know, there, there are some that just come together just, you know, like in a snap, just so easy. And Hawkeye was one of them because you just like, well, what does everybody think of when they think Hawkeye? Bow and arrows, you know? <laughs> like that's, needs a dog. Nailed that's it. That's really, needs a, this, well, yeah, I know he, he's got a dog, but I can't remember the <laughs> dog's name. <laughs> it's like for that one run. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's lucky. Yeah. Since we're on a on a comic podcast, I think it's lucky. It's lucky the right? pizza, pizza dog. dog. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'll, I'll. It's okay that Lucky wasn't in his pack. We did get a dog on the Goliath card, so there's a dog in his pack. It just wasn't the same dog. It's close enough. <laughs> That's to right. Now, yeah, Goliath, so. Goliath is rescuing the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we had for today, so we'll wrap up for now. That was this third issue of Not Enough Said. We'll be back in January when we talk about some more lore directly related to the game. Um, and until then, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And thanks to you, Caleb, for coming on. We really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun.